I track everything. I set the allocation that I'm comfortable with based on my research and and based and riskiness variance of each asset class. Um, and then within each asset class, I may sub break it down. Um, and what I will do over time is just rebalance. Welcome to Arda Spotlight. Live long and prosper. I'm Sita Sengupta, your host and the co-founder and CEO of Arda Finance. In this podcast series, we don't just scratch the surface. We delve deep into the mindsets of some of the most successful founders, entrepreneurs, and investors out there. We dissect the pivotal choices that have set the trajectory of their extraordinary lives. We get into the nuts and bolts of how financial strategy and financial thinking can serve a purpose-driven life. So if you're looking for insights that are as intellectual as they're actionable, you're in the right place. The topics covered in this podcast are conversational and for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to serve as investment advice and is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any particular security or investment. All opinions expressed by Arda employees and third parties are not necessarily those of Arda Finance. Today, I'll be talking to Ryan Tabone, the mastermind driving the future of commerce for small and medium businesses as Lightspeed's chief product and technology officer. During this conversation, he touched on how he decided between the Bay Area and New York how he up-leveled his financial knowledge and went deep into his investing philosophy. Ryan is a visionary who leads with a blend of technological acumen and a sharp focus on customer experience. His mandate? Empowering his product and technology teams to inject creativity and innovation into the DNA of every project they touch. But let's roll back a bit. Before he was shaping the roadmap at Lightspeed, Ryan was a key innovator at Google, where he was a superstar product leader for over 15 years and where he and I worked very closely together. He helped start Chromebooks, led G Suite, which includes Gmail, Docs, Stripe, and most recently, he was the VP and GM for Google Finance. When Ryan talks, you're not just hearing ideas, you're getting a download from one of the industry's finest minds, skilled in taking complex technological challenges and turning them into customer-friendly solutions. And that's why I'm really excited to have him here today. Welcome to Live Long and Prosper. Enjoy this episode. Let's talk a little bit about life, career, and then, you know, how thinking about money and finances have factored into it. So I'd love for you to go back to a time in your life when you were at a crossroads, right? Where you had to try to make a decision, you know, you had maybe had a couple of paths in front of you and you were trying to decide career, life, money, compensation, all of these complicated things. And first, um, if you can talk about like what that particular crossroad was, describe it a little bit to whatever extent you're comfortable and then sort of how you approach that decision and thought about it. There's a few like inflection points in in my life. I think there are two that are most relevant here that are actually kind of inversions of each other. Um, so I worked at a management consulting firm a long time ago and one of the natural paths for you to go was you can get an MBA, you can go to private equity, uh, or you go into some industry that you were like consulting for and with the hopes that like you basically bring business back to the consulting firm. And um, I was interviewing with private equity firms. They uh, liked that I had operational experience. And um, at the time I was working between 80 and 100 hour weeks, depending on the week. And I, I remember like going down and going through the interview process and getting an offer and being like, cool, like this is this is the path. This is the path that you take. Uh, and then I just like paused for a second and I'm like, 
what are you thinking? Like, why, why are you doing this? Is it because it's the path you're supposed to take? Like, you're going to be working more hours than you're already working. Like, you're not going to have like a personal life to speak of. Uh, and you're not going to, you're like, is it, is twiddling money for you or like, you know, finding companies to buy and, and make them better, which for some people that's great. But for me, that wasn't, that wasn't like what ignited passion in me. I was like, I, I, I had to like pause for a second and make an explicit choice not to go down that path and say, well, what do I actually enjoy? I loved every tech case I did. I had had a background in tech, but I realized I wanted to be in a different form of tech, more on the business side, but I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, well, the home of tech is Silicon Valley. I was living in New York at the time. Uh, let me just go and talk to companies out there. And it was funny because I had to break a lot of, uh, I don't know, mental models because it was just always the like, oh yeah, you're going to go out to California. Like New Yorkers don't go out to California. They're they're too soft. They're too whatever. Like, you, you know, you're never going to get along like hippies, whatever, all the like stereotypes. And uh, I remember like talking with companies out there and I felt like a different energy and I got really excited. And I also learned about roles I didn't even know existed, including product management, which I ended up going into. Um, and I just decided to like take the jump. Uh, I could have stayed at a consulting firm earlier. They gave me an extended offer. I could have got an MBA, I could have gone private equity. And I was like, I want to follow my passion. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go full in, even though if that means abandoning everything I know. Um, and that was a huge shift and it was a massive shift for me in my life. And then conversely, um, I mean, I met you there uh, at Google, uh, which was also, I also didn't almost end up at Google, which is a whole different story. But uh, then Google moved me out to New York for a role out here. Um, and then they asked me to come back. And I said, um, I think I prefer to stay. And that meant turning down a much larger role than what I had. Um, and that happened multiple times. And the reason for that was I was prioritizing um, my my personal life, my mental health. I just feel felt like I fit in better here. Um, I had family near here, which was really important to me, still is. And um, I, I made that trade off with the, like this from like a value system perspective. This is just what I wanted. And like there's other smaller changes, but I think those are like the two biggest inflections um, that I've had so far. Did money and finances compensation play a role in it? Because clearly, I mean, consulting finance, you understand very well, right? You make a lot of money, tech company, Google, it's doing well, but early days. Uh, it's obviously hindsight is 2020, but at that point of time, how, how did you think about it? I mean, I took a pay cut. Uh, so uh, this is, it's kind of a funny story because from consulting perspective, I was technically leaving a month earlier than they would have liked me to leave in order to do the start date at Google at the right time. And they were not happy about that. And so they withheld my bonus. Um, so no names mentioned, uh, but like they withheld the bonus and I was like, you know what? And I also won case of the year with, a, with another, with my team, of course. And I, I didn't get the reward for that. And it, because he really wanted me to stay, which I get, but it was also like, okay, I'm going to have to take a financial hit to make this leap. So do I really want to do this? And at the time, I think the salary plus bonus and everything was lower because I interviewed for a product manager role, something that has when you have experience. Uh, and I had work experience and grad school experience, et cetera. And then they said, actually, we're going to make it an associate product manager, which is a fresh out of school role uh, and a lower salary. And so it was just kind of like, oof. Like it was just like it hurt. I was just I was so worried. Was I making the wrong choice? And uh, I was like, you know what though, I I I don't want to stay here. I'm not going to do anything for money. And I think that's always been a cadence of mine. Which unfortunately it worked out. But I think you know, even if I look at my friends and family, like I know folks who've made decisions for money, and then they end up 
burning out because they don't necessarily enjoy it. I I made the choice because I I wanted to enjoy. I was passionate about it, and I got there, and I like I couldn't wait. Every day, I was just like, I can't wait to do the next thing. And I had some amazing experiences, so it, it played out well. And I'm very fortunate. Um, but at the time, it was actually I had to I had to take a hit to move over. Fortunately, that changed pretty quickly, but I didn't know that at the time. But then, while you were on this like you know meteoric rise through Google, um, you decided at some point to move back to New York. And so talk about that. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? I know the role was very big, but look, you were you were exceedingly close to the leadership in, in Google and Mountain View. You were in a very, very good spot. Um, and so what? how do you think about this move to New York where it is a little bit away from the mothership? Well, yeah, I mean, um, anything outside of Mountain View is, is you know, where, where, where Google was headquartered or is headquartered was basically like you, out of sight, out of mind. And this is not an uncommon thing with, with global uh, companies. Um, and so I knew that by moving out, I was taking that risk. Um, and I was hoping that the connections I had made up to that point would be enough. But the reason I took it, it was twofold. It was actually really simple. Um, I loved those products, right? It was at the start, it was just the Google Docs editors. Um, and I, I just, I was so... You know, I had previously worked on Chrome OS uh, and Chromebooks, and they said, you took on Windows, do you want to take on Office? And uh, I was like, are you kidding? Like, you know, I lived in Office when I, when I was at Management Consulting, and to be able to see if I could actually overhaul and make better these tools that people use every day, I, I, I couldn't, I was so excited. I almost didn't understand why they were asking me to go work on Um the ability to, you know, I knew that I'd eventually move back to New York to be close to family, but I didn't think it'd be that soon. But I was like, you know what? I'll, even if I leave New York again, it'll be great that I get this opportunity. Uh, and I just wanted to work on it. And I said, you know, maybe I'll, I'll move back to Mountain View. Maybe I'll move somewhere else. I have no idea. Um, and I ended up loving it so much. And honestly, again, I was so passionate about the products that I ended up taking more and more of what was then Google Apps because I just, I, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and every day was kind of like, of course it's hard and, and some days can be a slog, but like every day was just like, I, I couldn't wait to, to work on it. So, um, yeah, I, I knew it was a trade-off, but again, it was one of those things where I was just so excited to work on the thing that I didn't care. And, you know, subsequently, I know there were many attempts made to try to get you back to the headquarters and, um, how do you think about those decisions and what sort of went into the thinking behind staying in New York and then actually moving on to be, you know, to lead product and technology at Lightspeed at a public company. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of just, so I realized that I fit in more here. Um, you know, like, again, it's, it's different, different strokes for different folks. Like Silicon Valley had changed a lot while I was there. Um, it became that you talked about tech all the time, whether you were at work or out socially, and it was the same conversation a lot. And for a lot of people, they love that and they want that. I, I didn't. Uh, I liked, you know, saying I worked at tech and people looking at me like I had, you know, four eyes uh, and being able to talk about anything and being able to debate a topic and not the person. And it just, it felt right. And I, I so I thrived uh, in New York. And so I said, you know, look, if, if it's going to make me better personally, it's also going to make me better professionally. Um, and so I rather find work that would take me in New York, uh, even if that meant leaving Google. Um, it ended up that another opportunity presented itself where I could start something from New York and you were key in that. Um, and so I was able to be here for a long while, even to the point where I was, um, 
acting as an advisor and drop an executive for alphabet companies, which were all over the world, which actually worked well for me being in New York. Um, so it was one of those things where once I made the decision that it made me happier and just better as a person, everything else kind of fell secondary because up until that point, it was the passion and ability to kind of keep pushing that allowed me to just succeed. And it, it felt like in order for me to continue doing that, I, I had to find that balance in my life. Um, eventually I got to a point where like, so in my, uh, role at Alphabet, I was more of an advisory role and I wanted to operate again. Um, and I had the opportunity to go back to Google, but I, 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 I think I craved just something different. Um, I had been at Google for uh, a very long time and, uh, I, I had gotten the notion that externally, the longer you were at any corporation, the more, especially a big corporation, the more folks felt you just can't hack it externally. And I didn't want to have the hubris to go to be a CEO of other companies. Although um, my colleagues had said, you should go and do that. I, it was like, look, you know, I'd been in one place for so long. Uh, I'd seen some of my, my colleagues who had left and taken those roles stumble. I was like, I would love to just try it at a, another company that where I felt like I could really make an impact to the world again. Um, and, you know, maybe learn, learn a thing or two uh, and pick companies where I didn't really know as much. And so, you know, Lightspeed, I felt like at, at first, when they first came in, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is really a fit. And then I saw the ability to make an impact to about 8% of the world that's employed by my small and medium merchants, uh, all the way to large merchants, like I should say. And it, to change it in a way that I hadn't seen before, uh, they had just gone through a massive growth spurt. They were looking for guidance on how to run a larger uh, organization. And I, I, while I had helped with board decks for, for Google, I had never actually been the person who was talking to the board or the street. And I wanted to learn that. And, and Lightspeed had prided, yeah, it does continue to pride itself on being a first-class sales organization. And while, again, I'd worked with sales, I didn't know it intimately and, and the, inter, the inner operation. So I figured this was like a great learning experience, a great way to make impact. Um, it kind of things, everything just kind of lined up. And I figured it's worth taking the jump. You know, worst case, it doesn't work out. That's okay. I learned something about myself. I learned something there. Um, and if I need to, I'll go jump to something else or start my own thing or maybe a distillery. So Ryan, let's, let's, let's go back a little bit and say, if you were able to dial back time and give some advice to yourself, maybe 15 years back or 20 years back, as you were sort of getting started in your career, uh, what advice would you give? Or maybe in your case, 10 years back, what advice would you give? What advice would I give 10 years ago to myself? You know, it's hard because... Google was such a unique place where I got opportunities to do things that I never really honestly should have deserved to get up access to, you know, to jump between hardware and SaaS and, you know, like productivity and search and finance. And like, then I started working with drones and robots. And I mean, it was just incredible. And so it's hard to go back and say, like, you should change any of that. I think, um, there's some that's on the financial side, which is like start investing earlier. Um, I think I was a bit afraid and timid earlier on because I didn't actually know how it all worked. And for me, I like to understand something before I go into it, uh, especially with you know finances and the things that you've earned. You don't want to feel like you're gambling. That's, I think I would say just start earlier and um, don't worry about it as much and just don't think about it. Um, I would say that... Um, maybe learn to be more comfortable with like just being and finding balance in your life on a more active basis. I, I think it's very easy, you know, for certain cultures and certain industries to focus so much on achievement 
Um, I think that's how I also was raised. And you kind of lose sight of like, you are not your achievement. Uh, you, you are you and, and you should, you know, acknowledge who you are and be okay with who you are and not always be trying to do the next thing. And even though I worked with like this great, constantly great groups of people, um, uh, you, you, it, that, which made me enjoy work. I, I do wish that I'd kind of just focused on like, what's important to me right now. Cause sometimes it's not going to be work. There's a, there's a book called designing your life. And people have joked that like, I should get a commission for how many times I've given it to people, but they have this notion of balancing play and work, uh, uh, and you know, like health and, and having that active assessment and, and treating that as an assessment of you, like, as opposed to like one thing being you, uh, I think is super healthy. And I think I would have probably given myself the advice to follow that guideline to finding balance on an ongoing basis earlier. When did you start thinking about, like, when did you first think about investing and, uh, you know, in a way, like, how did you, how do you approach it? Was it something that you were brought up with? Is it something you picked up later in life? Like, how did your, how do you, how do you get the journey started? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, was not, I mean, I was raised as a saver, but it wasn't the notion of investing. Uh, the only investing my family that I know of did was, you know, they're in the real, they're in construction. And so buying and selling homes was their form of, of investing, which also did great. But if you're not actually building the home, which I wasn't less great. Uh, and so I didn't really know how to retain what I, what I'd earned or how to, um, even grow it and have it multiply upon itself. I mean, you know, Warren Buffett talks about compound interest being a wonderful thing. You, once you do the math behind that, you're like, that's why I say I should have started earlier. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, what was I thinking? I should have just put this in anything earlier on rather than just leaving it in the bank. Um, and, uh, no, so I, I, I think when I went to the consulting firm and I got this like 401k, cause I don't even know if I had a 401k in any previous role. Uh, and if I did, it wasn't meaningful. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this money. I don't know what it means. They didn't really help you. And so I just kind of put it in, I think it was like a Vanguard target fund, um, which, which didn't do well, but I was just like, I don't know, it seems right. I have no idea. Uh, you do some like basic research research and they'd be like 60, 40. And I was like, cool, this target fund's kind of roughly 60, 40, it's close enough. And so, uh, it wasn't actually until Google again, a few years in, uh, believe it or not, not even initially where there was a group of really passionate folks on this list called financial planning. And they had set up a wiki, they had a mailing list and they would just kind of talk about like, what are the steps to take? What types of things should you do? You know, what books should you read just to even get started? Uh, and then I'm not, I get really bored with reading. So I like halfway through a book, I'm like, okay, I got it. But these books, I just, I was like, wow, okay, really helpful. Uh, I think it was like random walk down wall street and asset allocators handbook. And you just start learning about diversification and like, you know, cause I had my only exposure to these companies were like in consulting, you'd look at, um, bankers and, and, and private equity firms and they would research companies all the way, like really deeply understand their strengths and weaknesses versus the, their competitors. And then they would place their bet, right. They would, whether it's an acquisition or something else, um, and so I'm like, I'm not going to have that level of detail in all these companies. I can't do that. And so that's what kind of scared me away. But then you realize it's not about that. It's about these different asset classes. It's about uh, balancing the variance with the growth rate and, and your level of comfort. And, and that I could wrap my head around. Um, I still didn't want to put everything in the market. So I'd still look for like alternative classes. That was harder. Um, and so the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And then I'd be like, okay, then how do I protect these things? And how do I like, you know, then you start looking at LLCs and trusts and 
Um, so, you know, when I buy a home, I buy it in LLC to protect me from a liability perspective. And so it was just, it kind of led down this, uh, giant hole of, of knowledge, uh, that I just kept going. And, and it was nice to be able to have those people to lean on, but it was also a lot of time. Um, and while I pride myself on like researching and building it, I was like, how, how, do, <laughs> how does anyone do this? Uh, and, uh, it's what actually led to some of my work at Google, as you know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I still, you know, while I think I have the basics in place, I, I still, you know, it's very easy to not track it or be on it and feel like you're, you're going to screw up, but it's that whole process that kind of got me into, well, how do I make my money earn money for itself and for me, and or at least the very least protect itself. So, um, long answer, but it was like a very gradual journey and very, one that where I went really deep on. Now, this is super interesting and there's so much stuff there to unpack. So first, like um, learning, you mentioned books, uh, were there like, and you mentioned the financial planning group at Google. Um, was it something you talked about with other friends or did you just sort of source out, like, how do you, where do you get the learning and, or was it just pure research? Did you consult like any financial advisors, private banks? So I actually uh, had some, a financial advisor referred to me, um, by our mutual friend, uh, Azar. And, uh, she pointed me at, uh, someone who actually went to MIT because Azar also went to MIT. I went there for grad school and he decided to do like financial ed planning because he just loved it. Like back to our story of like, he just did it cause he loves it. And we would just dork out. Like I would get on a call with him and I just ask him a bunch of questions and he'd be like, Oh, that's interesting. And then he would do research and come back to me. He's like, this is what I found. And like, I found that to actually, cause I would talk to friends but usually you hit like they have one thing that they actually really feel care about. And and it's good to talk to them about that. But if you want to go broad, it's like at some point you're just boring people. <laughs> so you kind of had different people you talked to about things. But having somebody I could go to for any question was super helpful. Um, I think, you know, the, the forums online of like Boggleheads actually really helps. Um, I haven't looked at it in a long time, so I don't even know if it's still active, but super helpful at the time. Um but it was just kind of, uh, it was a combination of research books and talking to a bunch of people, forums. There was no one place. It was just a lot of as much information as I could absorb. But in terms of, um, once you found out these things, like you had to get access to, you know, you mentioned an LLC. Most people don't know how to set up an LLC. Uh, or you mentioned like diversification into alternative assets. Like how do you go about getting access to that and getting access to those products or getting access to those investment opportunities? The LLC thing was, it was one of those things that just seemed really scary because you're like, I'm setting up a business and I have to choose a state and all these things. And again, it was one of those, once you just talk to somebody who's done it, it was like cake, right? And now like you can set up a, an LLC, especially with like something like Stripe Atlas, you may not be able to use it to buy a home, but if you wanted to like, you know, start something, you could, you could set up an LLC in like 15 minutes, right? It's, it's great. And it, the question I think for most people is not, how do I start one? But why start one and how, where do I use it and what protections does it give me? Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's knowing even what question to ask. And so for that, I, I don't really have a good solution other than to say like, what are you trying to achieve or what are you worried about? Right. I think for me, it was, uh, you know, when you own a home, I want to make sure that someone can sue me and then go after everything that I have, you know, if they were walking on the sidewalk and fell and there's nothing I could have done about, it. um, and so when you ask that question, it's like, well, here's how you do it. And LLC was one of those answers. Um, same thing with investments. It was the like same type of like liability. I'm also a very private person. So being able to get the the 
but privacy from having certain types of LLCs was like another answer. It was just honestly from asking questions of like, well, how would I avoid this? Or how would I do this? Um, and it led to like, oh, we'll just start this LLC. And again, at first it seems scary. And then you realize it's actually a pretty simple process. And it's more about tracking any everything than anything else. For alternative investments, uh, I still don't have a good answer for you. I think it's, for me, it's been, you know, the only answer I've, I've heard of is is talking to large banks. And I never liked that answer because every time I talked to them, I could not get a clear answer. They would send me a prospectus. They wouldn't really explain anything. It was usually like they were getting a commission on it and they would charge me, you know, a large percentage of whatever I gave them. And they had to have a high minimum to get access to whatever funds they had access to. It's just, it just, it felt like a scam. I don't like it. And so I was like, I'd rather put the time in, even though they may make me more money. It didn't feel like it because it was also like non-deterministic. And so, I, you know, I, I, I just didn't like that notion. I like the ability to, like find these things myself, which was really hard. I, the, the easiest ones to start with was real estate. Um, and then uh, other ones like private equity was, I, that one's still difficult for me. And venture capital, because I was in the world, was just talking to folks. And then you start talking to startups. And um, and then you start getting crazy. I started researching farmland and things of that nature. But like, you know, it can't, it will never stop. Um, again, it goes back to my early point, which is like, I don't know how everyone does this. And it's really hard to get one spot Um to find all of these investments, I, I, I mean, you, you didn't ask me to say this, but that's actually the main thing I actually really appreciate about Arta is that like I go to one place and it's like, okay, I can I can do PE, I can do VC, I can do a, a mix. And I don't think it's ever been that simple for me to do that. Um, it's, I, I think that's actually one of the things that when you first told me about it, I got really excited about. But let's talk a little bit, if you're comfortable, Ryan, like how do you sort of, how have you set up your financial system? You know, if you were, if I were to borrow a word from our previous life, the financial operating system of your life? Like how have you set it up like in terms of investments, protections, like how you think about diversification? Is there a practice? Knowing you, there's probably a, a defined process. You look at it at a certain point in time, you evaluate it. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, happy to. I will say that I'm probably more disconnected from it than I have been in a while just because I've been extra busy. But uh, um, the way I've grown to approach it, the first thing is just the most important thing is tracking. And there's a million trackers you can use out there. Um, I am very sensitive to sharing information in PII, so I do it in a spreadsheet. Um, but I, I track every investment uh, where all of my funds are and just have it in one central place, and I put a category on all of them. And what that allows me to do is to see like how my funds are distributed uh, in different asset classes. And then I have like an asset class that's just like stock market. Um, but within the stock market, I have an asset allocation spreadsheet where I go through uh, and have, you know, uh, this is what I want to do from uh, a stock perspective, a bond perspective, or, you know, if I'm doing REITs, I have the percentages I want to hit. Um, and then I will look at the different vehicles and I usually will back test to establish like what percentages uh, I'd like to go after. So it's basically the, the, the short answer is I track everything. I set the allocation that I'm comfortable with based on my research and and based and riskiness variance of each asset class, um, and then within each asset class, I may sub break it down. Um, and what I will do over time is just rebalance. Um, this is a, another Warren Buffettism, but which is the you know uh, 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 what is it? Now I'm blanking on it, but it's it's the the, the be fearful when everyone's greedy and be greedy when everyone's fearful. Um, it's his, it, I, I take that also as a version of, uh, 
buy low, sell high, but it, it's like it's like a way of like understanding when you actually should reposition things within within your portfolio. Um, I've always been way too heavy on cash, which is a mistake I've always made. Um, and so, uh, and also the other thing is I also try and look at when I can use debt to my advantage. Um, growing up, debt was a four letter word, uh, literally and figuratively. And, uh, I realized when you're older, there's this, there's this notion of arbitrage where you can get it at a lower rate. And when, when rates were lower, I was like, cool, lend me all the money. And even if I pay it down, um, I can, if I can put it in a higher investment, your higher return vehicle, even if it's, it's low risk, uh, I'm paying for the asset that I've taken the loan out against. And so, um, that was another thing I discovered. And then over time it was just like, okay, if I want to be private in all of my investments, which I do probably for 80% of the time, um, I have LLCs sometimes, uh, nested for different types of investments or to keep them separate from each other again, for protection of like, um, uh, just isolation from each other. Um, the, there's some parts of the trust that I haven't fully pulled off that I, that I'm looking to do. So I'll hold off on that, but there is, there is a, also an embedding of, of trust that I'm now pursuing. Um, and let's see what else that's, I think that's the, the high level simplest of it. Uh, I, I keep looking for ways to not only optimize, um, uh, return, uh, and risk, um, but also not be correlated with the stock market. Um, so like, those are the three things I try and optimize on. And then based on that is what, what informs that portfolio and, and asset allocation distribution that I talked about. So anyway, Ryan, let's, um, let's switch a little bit and talk a little bit about the future. So, you know, the last, um, 20 years of your life has been super interesting, uh, number of different changes, not just geographic, but you know, products and things you worked on. What do you think about the next 20? Do you have any predictions for Ryan in 20 years? For me, uh, in 20 years, there is no way I could have predicted that this would have been my path 20 years ago. Like, I mean, honestly, zero. I don't think I could have predicted this at all. So I'm sure this prediction will be wrong. Um, I would hope that I actually get to work on that distillery. Uh, I would hope that in some way I get deeply involved on the AI side of the world. But when it becomes more like the internet is today and less in this phase where it's wild, wild west. Um, not because I don't think that that's exciting, but, but I, I've always found that I've done, I've succeeded more when I go after the, the use case I find interesting that isn't considered sexy by everyone where everyone's just throwing whatever they can at the wall and you can fail just because you had the wrong timing or wrong investment. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's five years from now. Um, maybe one or two other companies either more senior at something smaller or doing a startup. I think if I were an incubator, I think if I had the chance to work with my previous colleagues that I got to work with in New York, because it's one of those things you don't realize how important and how great the people are that you work worked with until they're not there. And actually that's something I wish I had paid more attention to earlier. I, I you know, when we worked together, a lot of our colleagues were like, oh wow, like this is amazing. You don't, you don't get to do this every day. And when you're coming up through that, you don't, it's hard to kind of see the forest and the trees, right? Because you're you're in the day to day. You see the ups, you see the downs, but you don't realize how like smart and and passionate and every and everyone was. And so like it that taught me more than anything else in retrospect to kind of just appreciate the good of whatever you have. And and sometimes you just want to be able to recreate that. And it may not be possible, but if I could work with 
some of those folks again, I would I would do that. So in 20 years, I would say maybe two of those things um, uh, out of that out of that list of four four or five that I listed. Um, uh, at least on the work front, on the personal front, uh, a family. I, I think you know you can. We talked about, you know, focusing on career. I think I, the detriment for me is that I started a family later than I wanted to. Um, so I think that that's going to be a focus, uh, in the next phase. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I got to, I, I was fortunate enough to like travel and kind of see the world. I think focusing on like family and quality of life for this next phase and helping others, um, will probably be my, my focus in, in whatever this next act is three, four, I have no idea. Fantastic. Ryan, that's, um, I don't think we can go beyond that. That is a, that's a beautiful, beautiful ending. So thank you so much. It was really wonderful talking to you and like so grateful that you shared so much candidly, like you know, your body of life, how you think about money, finances. I think members of ARTA who are sort of, who look up to you, who see a role model in you will find it incredibly, incredibly valuable. So thank that's you so much. Teaser. I'm, I, you know, I'm always happy to help and I, and I am very thankful for you inviting me on here and, uh, you know. It's easy to talk to you. So this was great. Thanks again. Fantastic. Thank you.